You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome back, and uh, we're buzzing into episode 129 today. Uh, it's weird. We've already yeah. recorded 130. I know. It is a little strange, because there's so many things I want to talk about that... Uh, Can we? You guys okay. haven't heard yet. I don't think we should. I think okay. we should uh, keep everyone waiting. Um, there is some follow-up, and, uh, and yeah. the first thing absent from that follow-up is i'm not going to talk about a live show because we already recorded the live no, show. no but we could talk that we we finally <laughs> we had we the, did it yeah we finally had the live show which was i you know i was really uh humbled by the turnout uh and the people that came to listen to us and listen oh, yeah. to us for an hour and a half uh i know we were only slated to talk for an hour but the conversation with with the, dr randy eckle was so mm-hmm. good it was kind of hard to to narrow that down yeah, it was it was a good group of uh, some familiar faces and some new faces, and um, just nice to meet some people in person for the first time. And uh, yeah, it's we're we're just uh, really humbled by the amount of people who take the time out of their week to to listen to this and want to learn more about native plants. The same way Fran and I want to learn about more, on, more on about a, native plants. On a Sunday afternoon, it was football uh, football season, and uh, for those that were in baseball, that was the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Uh, last game of uh, or game five of the Phillies Padres so it was all happening in that time frame so for people and it it wasn't good weather <laughs> no it was uh it was definitely it didn't rain hard um but it was drizzling a lot of the day and uh and while we were recording the show or my tent blew away and, uh, and we had to smash that that was probably <laughs> that was a lot of fun watch, actually is watching Fran and I break this tent into pieces so we could get it back in the truck and uh even Randy Eckle uh, joined in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah everyone was, and I was like, <laughs> one of us is going to get hurt doing this. There's sharp metal like pole that's going to just go through your arm, but but, but I, we broke it down. We did, and I was excited to know that we can now actually we have the capabilities of doing a live yeah. podcast. So hopefully, this was the first. Hopefully, it's not the last. And yeah, we already got invited for another one. We did. Um, so that's uh, yeah. Yeah, that's something to keep in tune for is we might be doing some more of these because it really was a lot of fun. And uh, and like I said, just meeting people face-to-face and uh, getting to talk to them a little bit about what they do is is a lot of fun. So, it was very cool. Very yeah, it's, cool. We're, I joke around and say, Fran and I are just talking to each other in this little room with thousands of people that eventually <laughs> listen. <laughs> it's like there's just, the conversation is much bigger than what we're having. It was, so it's nice to include them in the actual conversation. It was somewhere. really interesting seeing faces. And getting mm-hmm. reactions because yeah. we're just not used to that. So it, it was kind of cool to say something that maybe was humorous and see a smile or hear a chuckle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was, and we we could do things that people could see. Yes, <laughs> like at one yeah. point I th- I threw my notes. It was kind of <laughs> funny just being able to to have yeah. that kind of visual. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're we're like I said, we're really humbled that so many people took time out of their otherwise busy lives to come and hang out with us for uh, an hour and a half on on sunday so i agree thank you with that why don't we get into our regular slate of programming and start out with the plants we're vibing with this week uh that's that's hot that's hot would you like to go first because i like your choice and i kind of know why you're saying it yeah was it from uh, your trip yesterday it was for my trip yesterday um my dad and i uh took a a nine or ten hour road trip (laughs) Um, we went up to our place in the Adirondacks, the nursery in the Adirondacks. He had to make a delivery of some other stuff that was on the way and said, you know, let's just check on the place up there, uh, get it ready for winter. Probably had about an hour's worth of things to do, maybe even less realistically. (laughs) Um, but it was just like, oh, you're all, we're, we're already going to be what over 75% of the way there. We might as well just make the whole trip and come back. And, um, yeah, so that was nice. But one of the things uh, that's nice about up there is you're in an area where you get my plant this week, which is uh, tamarack or American larch, or uh, the botanical name is Larix laricina. Is that how you say it, Frank? That's how I would say it. I'm yeah. not I'm not positive, but that would be my my guess. So a little bit about that tree from Wildflower.org is American larch or tamarack is a slender trunked conical tree, uh, 50 to 70 feet tall, with 
Um, bright green deciduous needles. The glossy needles appear in remarkably soft tufts in early spring. Deciduous tree with straight tapering trunk and thin open conical crown of horizontal branches. Uh, a shrub at timberline in autumn. They color golden yellow before falling to the ground, which is why I'm picking this because uh, it's a conifer, but it's a deciduous conifer. I think it's one of the only deciduous conifers in North America, um, if not the only deciduous conifer in North America. But they just turn this like beautiful golden orangey color um, Tex- in Taxodium distichum. Is that considered a conifer? Bald cypress. I don't know if that's considered a but that's a deciduous a conifer, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, but, um, I was just thinking that. Anyway, uh, they just turn this awesome color, and it's kind of in that area is uh, is when everything else has lost its leaves. Just about there's some other reds and yellows that are hanging on by a thread, but um, this is just kind of lights up the landscape, and it's really really beautiful. Uh, but it's a northern tree. Uh, I think in the United States, it's native to Minnesota, Michigan, New York. Uh, Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. And then, like, I looked at the Bonap map, and it was native in, like, northern New Jersey, like, northern PA. Uh, it's probably that northwest corner of yes, New Jersey yeah. where it's Ridge and Valley or, or mm-hmm. something like that um, or Appalachian. Yeah. I don't think I, – I've never really seen it in New Jersey. Well, and then I guess uh, that's where it's native in the continental U.S., but it actually – the range extends up through Canada and then the, the – Canadian territories and actually into Alaska. So um, just as a, a fairly big native range, it's just a lot further north than yeah. most of our listeners probably live. It's a beautiful so. plant, especially when you're, you're seeing something that's coniferous turn that fall color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 really striking. It's when when you see it, it's it stands out. I, I could totally see. Was it in its full glory or oh, was yeah. it already pa- like it was it was pa- like it was. In that, that like peak, maybe just past peak. Okay, awesome uh, time frame. Very cool. That is a great choice. Not one that I would have thought of, but I'm glad you uh, you brought that one in. Yeah. That's a that's a beautiful. Well, plant. I figured it's it's timely, and um, it, this is where it starts to get a little bit tough. Is uh, if you're not choosing goldenrods or some of your evergreens, yeah. this is where I guess. We try and keep it interesting, but where the podcast, this segment yeah. of the podcast, can get yeah. a little boring because there's really not a lot that's that's just super showy. In these winter months, yeah. so we have a lot of repeats and that kind of stuff. No. But and and, and I kind of went with one along those lines. You mm-hmm. know, we we've talked about late uh, sources for pollinators, and um, my choice for this week was whitewood aster, which is Eurybia uh, divaricata. It used to be Aster uh, divaricatus, I mm-hmm. believe, but there was a name change, uh, reclassification. Um, and what made me think of it is we have a small patch in front of our office. And there was actually a painted lady butterfly frolicking on it and kind of getting that late season uh, nectar, which is really important. And we kind of we, – we always think about spring and summer, and, and those fall ones are, are very important. Um, it's, it's, it's showy. It's got very small white blooms um, with red to yellow centers. It does bloom August through September, you know, so it's that later season like you think of with asters, uh, like part two full shade. Um, does kind of like it on the drier side. I know some of the ones that we we tend to think of are New England Aster or New York Aster are a little more wet. This is drier, and but it stays smaller. It's one to two foot tall. There's no real disease issues, which is nice. Uh, but if you give it morning sun, it will cut out. Sometimes you can get powdery mildew, so a little bit of morning sun will will fix that problem. And I just kind of like the the showy. It's like imagine a daisy flower, but very tiny. They're almost like button like size flowers. So. Um, it, it's just a great, great plant for this time of the year. One that I think gets overlooked a little bit and mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to add to your landscape for something that's in bloom right now. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, a really cool plant. It acts as a, almost like a ground cover yeah. for most of yeah, the year I agree. where that's how we have it in our garden at home. And it's, it's right on the border of, of being like a really good ground cover or looking like a little weedy to the untrained eye. And it's like, oh, is this good? Is this bad? Like, once you know it, it's a plant that kind of, st- well, at yeah. least in my experience, stuck with me once I figured out what it was, and I started to see it all over the place. I just kind of like, we have uh, pumpkins right in the garden in front of it because we're getting ready to do an employee pumpkin mm-hmm. carving day this week. And um, it kind of replaced, for, for how many people try to spruce up their property with with mums this time of the mm-hmm. year, that's a native, natural replacement 
It's something that's going to pop back every year and give you mm-hmm. that mum type feel, and it responds to pruning well. So mm-hmm. th- throughout the season, if you're keeping it shaped to keep it look a little more managed, you can do that, um, and it kind of gives you that that white mum feel without having to go with mums. Yeah, so yep. it's it's just I I think for this time of the year it's a good choice, a little bit overlooked, but mm-hmm. it's nice. And I agree, it can look a little weedy. It it, it definitely can. Um, yeah. But the one in our garden was pruned back because we were doing some work on the building mm-hmm. and we we needed access, and that responded back really well. It still bloomed, yeah, uh, when other things didn't. So that's what I've been doing as well. Is I'll prune it back to I don't know eight inches to a foot, yeah, in around that that like probably June time frame, and um, and then it keeps it from. I found it gets a little bit more dense flowers that way. And um and it keeps it from getting too leggy. Yeah, was the other thing. It can really kind of get a little leggy and sprawl, which isn't a necessarily bad no, thing. No. But if you don't want it to look quite as weedy, that's what I do. I was actually going to buy some to uh, add right in front of our front door, mm-hmm. um, and we're sold out. So oh, God. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. I guess that's a good thing. But two great choices. Uh, make sure uh, you can't. Well, you have to be a little bit more northern to go with Tom's. But mm-hmm. that is a wonderful choice if if you're in a little bit more of a cooler climate mm-hmm. you definitely uh can't go wrong with that yeah. that gives you that coniferous look without without uh you know and being able to get away with it and know, i even though friend, i did look up uh this is just a quick google on north american deciduous conifers and it was uh the tamarack bald cypress western larch red spruce and larix gemellini i don't know I don't that know. one say that one i didn't know red spruce was which, that's a european larch which that's, that's uh, okay so yeah all right or no it's not excuse me I don't I'm this is a quick little Okay. <laughs> add some facts to this. But yeah, so you were right. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of anything else, but those mm-hmm. those are great choices. Um yep. you ready to do a little uh this or that? Sure. All right. You can get with this or you can get with that. So we had two great articles last buzz. Um I had to, to quickly update this while you were doing yours. Mine was about being able to track invasives from space. Uh, and Tom's article was on beavers and climate change, and we do have a winner. Tom wins this one 13 to 11. I actually picked up a couple late votes. Yeah, wow. You were winning 13 to 9, kind of pulled ahead, and I, I got a couple at the end. But it's not mm-hmm. two good articles. I, I actually didn't think I'd get 11 votes on that one. Oh, you're selling yourself <laughs> short. No, I didn't think it was it, – it was it's a very important article, yeah. um, but – there's, I don't know. Well, I, I'm glad to be back on the winning side. And, uh, and Fran, yes. I know you're really excited about this article that you have here. So I am going to let you go first. Okay. Um, and, and part of the reason why I'm excited about it is on a previous buzz, we had talked about Hawaii lacking natives uh, and become mainly, not invasives, but but non-native or exotic mm-hmm. and how it's affected their wildlife and birds that have evolved with the native species like with the seeds being larger than their beaks can hold and how it's made it less biodiverse. We also had a conversation at the live show, which you'll hear next week, that kind of talks somewhat about this. And this kind of is a good follow-up. So the name of the article is It's Life or Death, Why One of Hawaii's Island's Severe Drought Problem Should Scare Everyone. And it's by Kyla Yu, and it was in sfgate.com. I think it's two pages – yeah, a little over two pages. I think I can get away with reading this whole article if I can pronounce half of it. Uh, <laughs> under the shade of the koa trees, we dig holes in the soil and gingerly plant new seedlings of hapu, hina, hina, hina and koa, all native Hawaiian plants. We're working on the grounds of a naturally formed watershed located in the western region of Maui atop Manakahalawai. Uh, how would you say that? Manakahalawai. Uh, I'm trying to find it on here. The end of the Ma- first Mauna Kalawai. Kalawai, yeah. also known as the West Maui Mountains. Uh, the West Maui Mountains provide water to most of Maui, and the forest is essential to the watershed. The trees and plants soak up the rainwater like a sponge, filtering it through the earth and down to the aquifer, where the Department of Water Supply sources its water for many of Maui's homes and hotels. But the loss of native, native trees due to past pineapple farming with the encomp- encompassing 8,304 acres of the watershed has resulted in decreased rain capture, lessening the amount of water available for the future. It's life or death. Um, 
Kanoa Pastana, a field tech for Puikukui Watershed Preserve, tells SFGate, if we don't have a forest, then we basically don't have life for the west side, Pastana says. Water is a press- pressing issue. Maui County currently has the worst drought conditions in the state. In August, Maui hit seven record high temperatures, and in September, the National Weather Service moved Maui's Central Valley to the exceptional drought, uh, the highest category in the drought monitoring system. Water reservoirs are running low. Ranchers are reducing their herds, and conditions are predicted to continue to worsen. We've seen a decline in overall rainfall numbers over the past five years, Pastana says. Pui Kakui was said to be the second wettest spot on Earth. It's at times reached over 400 inches of rain in a year, but nowadays there are sometimes less than 200 inches, which says that we get half the amount of rain, and in 25 years we'll have half the amount of water, which should scare everyone, you know? We're trying to keep the forest intact so we catch as much water as possible when it does rain, he continues. The fact that rainfall continues to decrease should scare people to death. No rain means no life. Pooh Kakui Watershed Preserve believes in the importance of looking to the past to solve Hawaii's current issues. It's estimated that Hawaii imports much of its resources and up to 85% of its food. Studies found that in 1778, there were 683,000 native Hawaiians supported by the island's bounty before their dependence on imports started in the 1960s. To feed that many people, you had to have deep knowledge and understanding of your natural water resources. Uh, or your natural water source and use it efficiently as possible, Pastana says. In old Hawaiian law, everybody had rights to the water. It was for everyone, but what you took, you had to put back in. Irresponsible pineapple farming has degraded much of the area, and invasive weeds now overrun it. These volunteers are restoring indigenous and endemic plants to the site. They're using traditional Hawaiian methods such as ancient water systems, incorporating taro terraces, to preserve and rejuvenate this naturally formed water source. I'm ready to hear this one, Frank. <laughs> this is. I don't know, but that was my That was best. worth the price of admission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rain follows after the forest, says Calico Store, an area Hawaiian culture and training specialist. Watersheds are area of land, including mountains and valleys, that capture rainwater and other forms of precipitation. That water then seeps into the ground or larger bodies of the water, such as streams, rivers, or oceans. In Hawaii, all watersheds eventually drain into the ocean. She adds that the team focuses on minimizing invasive plants and animal species in the forest, which helps to maintain water flow and prevents erosion. Eroded soil means less water retention, one of the top threats to the watershed's health. Much of the eroded soil ends up in the ocean, smothering West Maui's reefs. Additionally, the preserve is home to 300 native and endemic plant species, including koa, and the threatened Hawaii state tree. Many of the preserved plants and animal species, such as the Uau, Hawaiian petrel, Hawaiian hoary bat, and the Pacific lace fern, are listed on the federal threatened or endangered species list. Visiting tourists think uh, the faucet is an everlasting gobstopper, store says. Over-tourism effects on the water supply have been a heated topic, especially when visitors to Maui surpassed pre-pandemic numbers at the same time that some residents were forced to save water. But in reality, story continues, there's a team of volunteers in orange shirts executing daily reconnaissance campaigns. They're flying in, hiking into the valleys, and checking all the water sources. During a recent mission, the team discovered old loy, uh, irrigated terraces that indigenous Hawaiians used to cultivate kalo or taro in nearby Honolulu Valley, a conservation easement that is part of the West Maui watershed. These old systems were indigenous, Pastana explains, terraces similar to rice paddies were built next to water source, which would feed water into the loy. That loy would distribute water into the next loy and follow through a series of these terraces before returning to the river. The team is now working on restoring the loy, clearing out the weeds, and replanting callow. Hopefully in about a year, they'll become our food source so we can feed ourselves, Pastana says. Pooh Kakui Watershed Preserve work, uh, work has caught the attention of local resorts, which are pitching in to help. The team has been regularly taking out workers from two local resorts, Andes, Maui, and Hyatt Regency. Four years ago, there weren't many hotels that were part of the conservation effort. Watershed Projects um, uh, store says, we want to teach that if you're using the water, you must work to maintain the source. The hope is that these hotel workers will take the lessons they learned and pass them along to co-workers and guests at the hotel. We need to stop acting as if we can just go to Costco to buy cases of water when we have an abundant water source. Store says, it's a longer approach, but it's well worth it. From the Hawaiian perspective, our kapuna or elders tell us, a ka hana, hana ka ike, 
which means you learn by doing, but half of the doing is to listen. Our goal is to feed people's knowledge and their belly, Pastana adds, and hopefully we'll, we'll all be happy in the end. So it's it's important to see how someone someone had asked how um, non natives affect an area mm-hmm. if it's becoming more non native than native, and we talked about co evolution, how it affects all the wildlife that is from that area, and how it makes it less biodiverse. But here are a lot of other factors when you talk about water supply and erosion and where that water is going and how it affects the amount of people that it can can maintain uh, and the fact that they're not really feeding themselves off the land. They're not capturing the water. They're not getting the water. It sounds much like – you know, it, it 200 inches of water is a lot, but not when you're accustomed to 400 inches. <laughs> what, mm. do, what do we get here? Like 45 uh, to 60? 45, yeah. 45 inches. So um, – but when you think of the amount of people that it has to support, um, man, that's that's a really tough, tough situation to be in. And it's nice to see that they're making they're they're identifying it. Obviously, they're identifying it because it's a problem, and they're trying to take steps to mm. to fix it and educate and steward, which are all things that we talk about being important for successful restorations. Yeah. And getting commercial buy-in can be really, really beneficial. Yeah. Um, you look at the Southeastern Grasslands Initiative or Institute, excuse me, no, it's Institute. Uh, they get a ton of commercial and philanthropic buy-in, and and a lot of volunteer buy-in as well. But just getting that kind of money source can be really, really beneficial. You can have a ton of really good-hearted people, and they can do some incredible things. It just makes it a lot easier when you have that cash backing to get it done <laughs> yes, as well. Completely. Um, but it's interesting because uh, I know you had this article and you were excited about it. And then uh, I was watching uh, YouTube last night, and there was a, a YouTube show that Mediator puts out that I started watching called Spear Chef. Okay. And it's about this woman who spearfishes. And, um, but the, she was actually doing some uh, bow hunting, I think, of invasive sheep in Hawaii. Oh. And she's a native Hawaiian. But they, she was talking about how the sheep would eat a lot of the native plants. And then there's a lot of invasive plants and how those native plants just capture so much moisture and provide so much moisture for the island. And now it's like an arid desert because you don't have that native plant material there to capture the moisture as it once did. And um, and Ray Archuleta kind of mentioned that when he talked about areas of this country like New Mexico yeah. saying it wasn't always very arid. You mm-hmm. know, it, it kind of happened over time where you cut down so many trees, you don't have that that way to capture capture that rain or, or maintain that rain and and how it affected you know when he talked about having lawns and how that affected when it was already light in water yeah, yeah. it's 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 a big it's eye-opening for people mm-hmm. that either a don't believe in it or b didn't know uh because i'm and i agree some people just think it's unlimited resources mm-hmm. that you know it's not an issue or it's not going to happen in our lifetime yeah but it's happening in our lifetime mm-hmm. So I I was just excited about that. Thank you. It's uh I'm I'm reading ahead and looking at yours. I'm like, oh, I really want to hear about this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh my article is uh is not going to be surprising anyone that knows I'm a pawpaw guy. And anytime I get a chance to talk about how great pawpaws are, I do. <laughs> so uh, the article I have this week was from the Guardian, and uh, it was written by Whitney Bach, and it's titled "How America's Most Enigmatic Fruit Is Making a Comeback." Uh, <clears throat> A little bit from the article, and then I'll give my thoughts. Okay. So when uh, Chris Chamil first organized a pawpaw night at an Ohio restaurant focused on local foods in 1999, he was happy to have 100 people show up. The goal of the event was to spotlight the largest edible tree fruit native to North America, the pawpaw, which grows from northern Florida and to west, or western New York to eastern Kansas and boasts a soft, custardy flesh with a mild flavor somewhere between a mango and a banana. Uh, Chamil became a pawpaw evangelist evangelist after a trip to the Yucatan Peninsula proved to him how popular uh, Guanabana, a Central American cousin of the pawpaw, was in Mexican food and drink. Convinced that pawpaw deserves similar treatment in the U.S., Jamil set out to champion in Ohio, where the tropical-tasting fruit grows plentiful in the forests and backyards across the state. What he didn't foresee was that decades later, he'd still be hosting a version of the same event, now called the Ohio Pawpaw Festival, which I have a friend who went there oh, okay. a couple years ago. I haven't been. Maybe that's a... a Native Plants Healthy Planet road trip we got a plan. Can, can you get um, pawpaw moonshine from there? I would assume so. I hope so. So um but uh so this September marks its twenty fourth year with more than ten thousand people coming to taste pawpaw Ooh. waffles, pawpaw curry, 
drink pawpaw beer, enjoy pawpaw crafts, hear live music, and of course, eat the ripe fruit itself. So how's this enigmatic fruit managed to draw crowds from across the globe when so many Americans have never, still never even heard of it, much less tasted it? According to Sherry Crabtree, a plant breeder at the nation's only pawpaw research program at Kentucky State University, who, when I was in Kentucky for the Eastern Native Grassland Symposium, met a ton of people from Kentucky State, and they were awesome. Um, there's a couple professors, a couple students, some people that worked in, uh, not extension, but with different yeah. programs. And, um, yeah, they were really cool. Uh, so pawpaws have kept a low profile in recent decades because they're almost big agricultural proof. Um, ripe for only a few days before they spoil, they're hard to ship and sell, which is probably why you've never seen them at the grocery store. So much of the fruit and vegetable production in the U.S. is based around being able to store fruit for a long time and ship at long distances, Crabtree said. Plus, she added, pawpaws may have suffered from a stigma attached to wild foods. Another name for the pawpaw is the poor man's banana. In the early part of the 20th century, processed foods were seen as more appealing because they communicated access to refrigeration, she said. Wild forest foods fell out of favor for a while. People thought, that's what poor people eat. So, uh, Devin, oh man, that's a tough one. Devin Mahusa a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma and a professor at the University of Kansas, says that indigenous people have cultivated pawpaw trees for a variety of uses, including making rope or twine from the bark and using the seeds to make a shampoo for treating lice in addition to eating the fruit. Pawpaws were an integral part of tribes' diets, uh, Mahusa said. Some even found a way around the fruit's notorious shelf, uh, short shelf life. The Iroquois people reportedly pounded and dried the flesh into a kind of fruit leather. For all the accessibility obstacles pawpaws face, their resistance to a big ag models is part of the appeal, notes Chamel. As the COVID-19 pandemic coincided with a growing interest in foraging in the U.S. and abroad, interest in wild and local foods like pawpaws and morel mushrooms have been expanding. It makes them a lot more special because you can't go to Walmart and get them, uh, Chamel said. They make people engage with nature a little bit. Plus, Crabtree adds, the insecticidal compounds that make pawpaw seeds an effective ingredient in lice treatment shampoo mean that pawpaw trees don't need many pesticides. For all the setbacks, pawpaws remain so promising that Crabtree dreams that they might someday serve as a viable alternative to fruits that are currently trucked and flown to the U.S. from all over the world. They could potentially fill the flavor profile niche that fruits like mango and papaya have now, so you don't have to use fossil fuels to ship those things long distances, she said. Either way, interest is definitely growing. You know, I have to say, I'm not a fan of papaya um, or or fruits like that, mm-hmm. but I like pawpaw. Yeah, like, I, I'm not a... Papaya guy. I do like mangoes. Not a really fan of like, mango uh, either. Really yeah. like pawpaws. And like I was saying in the beginning, I basically chose this because I can't talk enough about pawpaws. I hate that you can only get them for such a short period of time, and and there aren't really great ways to preserve them outside yeah. of making ice cream. Which is, yeah. Yeah. I love making ice cream. Yeah, that's nothing um, wrong with that. So just wanted to once again highlight uh, such an amazing fruit in the U.S. But I've, one of the things I really appreciate about this article – was that, I don't want to say knock, but that approach to big ag. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of our our native uh, plants are not traditionally found on our dinner plates today. And, uh, and Sam Thayer brought about a lot of, or talked about this a lot. Is it's, it's hard to commercially produce them for food. Um, it's just not like you, to grow wild rice is really hard to do in a a cultivated setting not just that like last last buzz my plant was persimmon Mm -hmm. you know you we have to eat that because of the astringents you have to eat that when it looks overly ripe yeah like so that shelf life is poor actually i was walking through the nursery and found a tree on our property that Mm -hmm. was producing like an overabundant like an abnormal amount of like hundreds of persimmon and i had a couple and i was like yeah, that you know, it's a shame that most people have never had that. They maybe mm-hmm. have had the Asian ones, uh, yeah. which are larger. But um, there was a, just, a quote that was in this article that it was a footnote saying it actually was removed from the article because it was attributed to the Paul Paul. But the person was actually talking about persimmons, yeah. saying that they taste their best when they look their worst. Yeah, and it's like yeah. it's when they're like that plump and juicy, juicy kind looking, like kind of look like, like a wrinkle, plum, like wrinkled almost. You put them in your yeah. mouth, and it's like, oh my god, this is like yeah. it's. It's hard to describe anything other than the feeling is fuzzy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah, when they're ripe, they're just so good. Yeah, it's like it's fuzzy or like your mouth gets dry, like you make that pucker face. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you time it right, which it's red and mushy and wrinkled, like you, it tastes like a fig almost. It's like yeah. reminiscent of a fig. Yeah. But I did learn something from one of our coworkers. So Paul shared with me the other day, yesterday, that you, according to the Farmer's, Farmer's Almanac, you can predict the winter 
from persimmon seed. Hmm. Did you ever hear that? I Steve's told me that before. My so brother Steve. If you cut the seed in half, and I learned, I also learned that the seed was used in the Civil War for buttons, mm-hmm. um, the American Civil War. That the kernel inside will resemble one of three things: like a fork, it almost looks like two leaves, mm-hmm. and that's um, for a mild winter. A knife, which looks like a half a leaf, mm-hmm. uh, means a frigid winter, and if it's a like a a spoon. Or a shovel mm-hmm. means you're going to get a lot of snow. So we cut one open, and it was it was a, a shovel, okay, so, yeah. or a spoon. So get ready for a, a lot of snow. This yeah. I don't mind that. It's uh well, I get to work. Everyone else gets to stay home. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm you, still you don't here. have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, it, that's a fantastic article because it's something that we've all thought about. You have this delicious fruit that was yeah. one of. Uh, George Washington's favorite treat, like uh, a frozen pawpaw mm. that he would scoop yeah. out and eat. I actually, I so with these articles, I'll clip out different parts, and I'm like, I've already talked about George Washington like so much, I don't need to tell people again. No. But that was in this article, yeah, as well. you know, because so. it's it's important history, and and there is a history of this plant, yeah. and, it's and one so of many the, people the haven't had it or that, know about it. It's a food that really bolstered the the Lewis and Clark expedition, yeah, um, because they kind of I, between some some accidents and other stuff that they ran out of food and this was something they had to eat that was just wild and abundant yeah. so yeah it's a really important thing and the last thing i'll point out here is that last line talking about oh mangoes and papayas they're not grown here they're grown yeah. in in further away regions and i'm not saying we shouldn't have mangoes and papayas in our store but when you're at the store and you're buying that mango uh or that papaya you should consider how far it, and how much it took to get that into your your grocery store, whether you're in New York City or, or Kansas or a r- more rural area. There's a lot of work. We well, we talked about with coffee long time ago, yeah. And how much oh, yeah. how much effort goes into getting coffee from Africa and South America and some of these more tropical regions uh, into your your Folgers can that you're yeah. going to crack open here in New Jersey. There's the amount of packaging and and fossil Marketing. fuels that it takes to get that. Is, is astronomical for something that we drink to give us a little pick-me-up and throw well, away. I, I say it all the time. Like people complain about the price of gas, but a gallon of Starbucks is somewhere between 20 and $30 a gallon if you were to to measure it out, mm-hmm. like take a large coffee. It, it's kind of crazy, when, but no one really thinks about the cost yeah. of that because yeah. it's, it's enjoyable. So, but, And there's a lot of different uh, cultivars of pawpaws now that have different features, different flavors and um, – and I think they'll even – it's not like if you have a super long window for picking pawpaws, but that widens that window a little bit uh, locally just because the, some cultivars are going to be ready sooner. Some will be ready a little later. So uh, Very cool. Yeah. Two, Something I advocate, everyone should plant at home and and eat. And You need to have yeah. two pawpaw. Yes. To, yep. and same with persimmon. You have to have two, mm-hmm. pawpaw, or two persimmon if you want to uh, produce fruit. So. Uh, two fantastic articles, so we'll post this this weekend, or our, our trusty uh, co-worker, Christiane, will post this this weekend, and uh, make sure you vote because... And of course, the choice is yours. Not too bad. we have a segue. We have a segue. How about some listener shout-outs? Sure. Listener, listener, shout-out, 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 shout-out. So... I we we actually had a bunch because we saw listeners. So I I wanted to I I only picked one only because I wanted to give a shout out to Kim Carrero from the Hudson County Native Plant Society for mm-hmm. putting the event together this past weekend. It was a lot of work and she did a lot of marketing yep. um and I really appreciate her doing this uh for everyone. It was it was nice to see how many people enjoyed it. There was a whole uh I don't know it, not a crew, but a, a bike. Group. Oh, the the bike pack. Yeah, the bike pack the bike, came I, and actually I, like loaded up yeah. with plants and. It was the Jersey City bikers, I think, is what. It was. But like like a uh, bicycles, not yeah. not motorcycles. Yeah. Um, I forget exactly what their real name was, but it was a bike club. Yeah. And uh, and they biked all the areas. And when Kim had written to us saying, "Oh yeah, the the Jersey City like bike club is going to be coming through," I'm like. I don't know how that helps the plant sale yeah. at all. Like, how are they going to get all? And but there's some pictures on their Instagram of some people and how they package up plants to get them back. There's bungee cording them down on like the bike baskets on the back and bringing these big backpacks and shoving 
some uh they bought a lot plants of plants oh yeah they, they really bought a did. lot of native plants mm-hmm. so it was kim put a lot of work so did a lot of other people but kim thank you uh i know you listen we we really appreciate it yep. thank you for making us a part of this so, yeah and then uh fran i don't remember if i did this review last time or not the i don't think i did i don't it think was you a did relatively either. short review it but was. we did get you, a five-star review yeah. from uh from davy uh 2012 and they just said thanks for sharing, and we're glad that people are thankful we share this because yeah, uh, it, it can be a lot of work sometimes, and we enjoy it, but it's uh, it's nice to know it's well-received. Yes. So thank you yes. very much. Awesome. And then my other shout-out was also from on Sunday at the event. Actually, I'm going to add another one now and think about it, but you had Bill Stuznick showed up on Sunday, stayed for the live show. I met him he a handful cut, of times in person. He cut out early. Oh, I'm not blaming nah. him because he, he had quite a trip to get there. He, it's not like he, he lives no, that, he just all cut that out close there. to there. I so. will say thank you, Bill, even though you never vote for me on this or that. <laughs> yeah. And then um, and then the other one was uh, was Amy Pia, who's actually a, a customer of ours but listens to the podcast as well. So, awesome. Um, someone I hadn't seen in a, a handful of years now, so it's good to catch up with her. And I miss Amy. Yeah. It's it's. I wish I would have seen her too. I don't get to see her that often. So I think – I think it's probably been three or four years since I've seen Amy, mm-hmm. and that was at a conference before COVID. So, yeah. awesome, great, great uh, listener yeah. shout-outs. If you want a, Tom to mention you, make sure you throw in a five-star review. We've gotten a few, but no, no writing. If you want us to mention, you kind of have to say something so we know who you are. Um, we didn't have any questions this week on the the question and comment lines. Actually, been a little quiet, so don't forget about that. Like, call us, let us know what what's going on. It doesn't even have to be a question. You could just – you could say that we're cool or you talk about what you're doing <laughs> yeah. in your yard. Like, that's cool, and we'll play it on a future episode of The Bus. No Grow Read a Book? No Grow Read – I haven't been reading a lot lately. I've been uh, on the road too much, and um, my my f- body frame does not uh, – is not conducive to reading on planes. <laughs> uh, I just kind of get to sit there, like, cross, cross-armed and, like, just try and make myself as small as possible uh, so I'm not encroaching on my, my seatmates. And, gotcha. Uh, so when you start reading books and flipping pages, it's now you're doing a little bit of moving. I'm already mm-hmm. like pushing over on their arms a little bit already. So I try not to read too much. I'll listen to some audiobooks sometimes, but I didn't have anything queued oh, up. Gotcha. But, gotcha. But um, we do have somewhat of a topic. Yeah, I wanted to to kind of recap our last episode with the what was the titled The Milkweed Contamination Conundrum. Yes. Um, that we had the folks from the Xerxes Society on that did a lot of research, and we're trying to figure out how we get this information out to the public and make it so they still are comfortable planting native plants because they yeah. need to. Um, and I just wanted to – I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback from people online, a lot of it even even more so from people uh, offline just coming and picking up stuff from the nursery or some people I ran into, and they're like, oh, yeah, I really like that episode. I, it made me really think about this or that and, and all this stuff. So – well, first, Fran, I want to start yeah, with you. What, sure. did, what did you think about that episode? Because a lot of it was brand new to you when you heard it. You know, the the one thing that I loved about that episode, it was brand new. And I had the opportunity to dive into it beforehand, and I chose not to mm-hmm. because I wanted to to have the conversation fresh. Um, the, the one thing that I appreciate it the most is whenever there's an issue and you're going to present an issue, I love that there's somewhat of a solution. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it wasn't doom and gloom. It wasn't like this is the problem and it all has to stop. It was this is the problem. We're not telling you not to buy native plants, but we're telling you to plant responsibly mm-hmm. and maybe take these steps to ensure, you know, maybe pull the flowers off or have a net the first year for herbaceous plants so that the first year they're not causing any damage. And then after that, you're okay. Um, I appreciated that. It was an eye opener, and I think it was needed to be known to make people think. Uh, mm-hmm. But I like that there were steps of action yeah. to take uh, until the until the issue gets better. Because I don't, it's not there's not a quick solution. There, there oh, really definitely isn't. not. And uh, and that was some of the feedback that I'd gotten from people who worked in the nursery industry was um, is well one I talked to Dow Kabeski. He was here on yeah. on Monday. And we mentioned and him Carrie, in that, yeah. and we mentioned him in that episode because realistically, and I there's I know there's other people that do this, but of the nurseries that I know for a fact. That don't treat or treat their plants with anything really. It's, he's the only one yeah. that I know of offhand. I'm no like I was saying. I know there's other ones that do. I just I'm not familiar with them. And oh, I shouldn't even say that. I'm sure I'm familiar with some. Yeah. I just don't know yeah. that part of their practice. Um, there's some I assume it's part of their practice, but it's really tough. You know, it's a tough topic because even if you can do all the right things, 
if you're not doing your own propagation, you don't have a lot of mm-hmm. control over the whole thing. And you, that was a lot know. of – so his question is like, yeah, even though we're not – definitely not putting down any insecticides or fungicides, it, it what did the people we bought the the – liners from they're growing in a one gallon pot and they're buying plants from us and they're yeah. buying plants from yeah. so like we know from you you're probably you're being a yeah. little more you're at least thinking about this yeah. stuff um he's like but there's other places well they're probably not thinking about it so how even though it's been in our nursery for six months before we sell it is that long enough for it to be per- and then what I about yeah. what about my neighbor who's a farmer and he's going through and and you Oh, there's surely got to be some drift. So even though we're doing everything right, and he he kind of pondered and said, "Oh yeah, I kind of want to like get our plants tested just to, just so we know, yeah, just so we know what we're putting out there." Um, and that's it. It's difficult. We had we had some really good feedback from some of our listeners that the listen, um, and someone asked about ha- like other practices that can help bringing in beneficials, um, like. Uh, planting out yeah. strips around, which a lot of what and, – and if you don't know us or you don't deal with us, you're not aware. But these are all things that we do like mm-hmm. our around our pond right at the office are uh, yeah. certified wildlife habitats. There was a one-acre property mm-hmm. that we – wetland that we restored yeah. um, to all native plant material. So we create a lot of habitat to bring in those beneficials. Mm-hmm. We've actually brought in – I, I want to say 15 years ago, brought in beneficial mm-hmm. uh, to help fight off some invasives when yeah. we had an issue with uh, – uh, a field had been taken over by uh, lithrum, uh, mm-hmm. purple loosestrife, and yeah. we brought in beneficial. So, you know, a lot of the nurseries are trying to do the right thing. Yeah, um, and I think some of the issue comes down to we can't control what our neighbors do. Yeah, and so there's a big farm, and we're friends with farm. I don't want to. I'm not even going to say who it is because uh, he's we're, a super we're nice friend, guy, and yeah. we're friends with him. Yeah. But we can't control what he he's got to do. What he needs to do to keep his corn, soybean, and potatoes, and whatever he's growing. He's got to make sure that is marketable. Um, and uh, and even I know some of the uh, the issues we had, like red-headed flea beetles, yeah. a really bad nursery pest uh, in New Jersey. And we've brought people in from Rutgers when we have an infestation here. And it's like, oh, we do what we can to get rid of it. And he's like, the issue is they're all coming from your neighbor. <laughs> like you could you could do everything you want to keep them off here and you're like spraying every single week. They're just going to keep coming in because your neighbor has them and yeah. he's He's not gonna for corn. You're not gonna spray everything um, with a with an insecticide. So that's where, where a lot of the GMO crops came from. Was so that you didn't have to put down pesticide and herbicide treatments. So it's um yeah it's it definitely makes you think. I'm glad that we've been thinking about it. I was glad to work with Sharon in the past. And yeah, it's like it was one of those conversations when I was first talking to her a couple years ago now, and I'm like I'm really proud of the steps we've taken, but I also see how far we still need to go. It, and it, it's like it's like you feel good, but you're also like, oh, but are we really doing enough? And you look at our peers, and I'm like, well, I, I look you, at places like North Creek Nursery, who I know is doing, also thinking this way and taking these steps. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking like New Moon and some of the other places that kind of focus on native plants. And if you're focused on native plants, most of the places are thinking are about doing this the right thing, like, like trying to do the right thing. Like I know Jim at Octorero, yeah. like the restoration he's done in his own property to create habitat. Like the people that are doing good things, you know, like good business practices or doing all native plants are doing the right things because yep. they believe in what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it, – it it's difficult because you have to constantly try to improve. Like I'm proud of what we've done and there's a lot more we can do and you have to keep – Mm. You have to keep progressing and working towards that. The hard part is, like you had mentioned on the podcast, like a lot of places may have a ten day fungicide routine, and and mm. we've moved away from that. Maybe we're we're twenty days, yep. you know. But that does affect yield, and that does affect mm-hmm. price. And there's only so much. Like, if you're doing the right thing, and people want that, they're willing to pay more. But there's only so much you can charge for a plant. Yeah. <laughs> land. Before someone's like, I can't afford that. So yeah. it's that's the tricky, the tricky slope mm-hmm. that you know you do the right thing, but you also have to stay in business and have plans to sell. And it's 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 working through those steps to get to that point. It's mm-hmm. it's all a work in progress. I'm really proud of the the um, projection we're taking. Yeah, or the, and that's part of the, the balance in my mind too. Is would it be better? To have, I shouldn't say pesticide free, but 
plants with much less pesticide exposure coming out, but way fewer plants? Or is it more beneficial to have way more plants coming out? And obviously, it's the answer is somewhere in the middle, in my mind. Well, here's, um, and here's the other tricky thing. We, we can come to that solution and say let, – let's just say we went, hey, you know what? Maybe less better mm-hmm. – less plants done the, the best way is the best solution. There's going to be another business that doesn't have that mindset that just says yeah. I'm going to I'm going to fill that void just mass producing and mm-hmm. doing it however I want to do because not for for being in a business that you're doing this for the right thing unfortunately not everyone cares yeah and yeah. I and I'm not I'm not pointing people I'm just saying there's sometimes these jobs are done to the lowest bidder mm-hmm. and it's it's price and it's it's putting food on their table and making money and that's just a fact it's like that with any industry. And including ours, you know, not everyone's like that. It's it's a far lesser number, I'd say, than some other businesses. But it happens. Like it's it just yeah. it is. Oh, yeah. You know, but yeah. you can try to identify those people and not do business with them. Mm-hmm. That's I guess that's a solution. But yeah. it's I don't know. Yeah, the there's a lot of factors. That, and even having read the a lot of the study, the thing that really stood out to me was the fungicides because that's just yeah. something it didn't it didn't even click until they said it. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. yeah, you could go completely insecticide free. Yeah, but if you're still using fungicides, which is or can be really important for plant health, um, even if you're doing everything culturally, I don't want to say perfectly, but really well, sometimes you still it's just growing in that kind of condition creates issues, um, and that unnatural condition can create issues. So that's where I'm like, oh yeah, so that's that's where we have a really far way to go. But I look at species. Like there's some that we're trying already. Yeah. We know, hey, this is an issue, and we could keep putting down fungicides that realistically when you read into it aren't even going to work yeah. in some cases if you don't have the right cultural practice. Um, or we can just change the culture and keep. usually it's keep those plants a lot drier is the answer. Yeah. But you're dealing with you got a hot day and there's a spot in between the sprinkler heads. Well, now those ones are toasted. They're all, they're all going to die because they got too dry. Yeah. Um, so you're you're losing plants that way instead of having plants that you're putting down a lot of of that fungicide, yeah. and then so that they all come out green the other end. But they're sick at the end yeah. of the day. And it's uh, and I kind of mentioned this in one of the posts online too. It's it's a little bit easier when you're smaller. You can oh, control yeah. those things, yeah. but when you it's scalable to a certain extent. Like mm-hmm. there have been years where we've grown one million smooth cordgrass. Yeah, it's a monoculture, regardless. And you can't you can't have ten thousand here, twenty thousand there. You kind of because of the conditions they need, you kind of have to put them all together. Yep. So it's you're creating these little patches of monoculture. And it would just be from a business standpoint, it would be a logistical nightmare to yeah. have them all over the place. Yeah. And really, like <laughs> I've. Someone had said this here, not, not someone yeah. online. Okay. Someone actually at the nursery, the newer hire a couple years ago, had said, oh, have you ever thought about mixing the plants together so that you can have these plant communities? And I'm like, hey, it's an interesting idea, but I don't know if it would work. And on top of it, how are you ever going to pull an order that needs, okay, they need 200 uh, red oaks, and you have the red oaks, the red maples, like all this different stuff, the, the yeah. uh, pussy willows, all this stuff mixed together to yeah. form a, a plant community. And now you need to pull out most of the red oaks, if not all the red oaks. Well, now you're back to square one. <laughs> it's all well, monocultures, yeah. they're all spaced out, yeah. and you're grabbing. Yeah. It's and, just a logistical plus, nightmare to actually do things efficiently from a, a business standpoint. And, and plus, you have red oak and red maple that have different needs. Yeah. And how do you logistically yeah. take care well, of those needs? I was bad yeah. example. No, I was I know, saying, like, if you group stuff that had, had the same needs together. Yes, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so. still, it, it's just difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible, mm-hmm. just saying it's difficult. I'm proud that we're constantly talking about these things yeah. and oh, looking yeah. at, at these things saying, what can we do to make it better? And sometimes those are hard choices. Yeah. You know, it was very hard. And hard I'm glad choice. we have a network of professionals. Like I, I when I, we have issues here, a lot of the times in my first call, if I can't figure it out and we can't figure it out here, I call Daryl and yeah. someone I can rattle ideas off of. Yeah. And, um, and we talk about, and he'll he'll ask us stuff sometimes too, and uh, and I can talk to folks at North Creek. I can talk to folks at New Moon and some of these other nurseries that do something similar to what yeah. we do. We might not have the same 
end product or same end goal, but uh, someone we can rattle some of these ideas off of, even in conventional nursery too. Listen, um, we, we talked to nursery in, in case anyone was curious nurseries do talk to other nurseries yeah. we do talk to our competitors i i recently just had a conversation with jim at octorero i've talked to uh graham and dave at new england wetland mm-hmm. plants like we're friendly we're friends yeah. or, or joe at clear joe and jessica at clearage we're we're friends you know we we talk about these things with like hey what are you doing how can we do this what if we tried this we uh yeah. kevin at signature we've had conversations mm-hmm. with so it's we do we do talk we do have a network and and try yeah. to to make things better it's um yeah. and that's that's and what you want i guess what i was really hitting at is that they're all thinking similarly yes I'm saying hey you know what this is how we do it right now i wish we had a better way and then share ideas and all that you get outside that bubble a little bit more and you don't get that same kind of no. reception where they're like oh yeah do we do we just use safari which is a neo nick yeah. or meet a cloper so um and that, that's how we take care of the problem I'm like, oh we're trying to not do that. Yeah. So, and they're like, "Oh, you're you're dumb for not doing that." <laughs> like, well, we're our our goal is to get plants out there that are performing ecological function from the moment they're planted. Yeah. Using the immunocloper, we could treat it on a Tuesday and it ships out on on Thursday. That plant's going to be in the the landscape. It will expire, but it's going to be in the landscape for six months, uh, yeah. where it's still active, or, or at least three months, where it's still active in the plant. Yeah. And that's not the goal. You know, I had an interesting conversation with, with uh, your dad this morning about looking at a generator for the the place up in mm-hmm. New York. And the, the person that he talked to was doing restoration work. And he's mm-hmm. like, that's the kind of person I want to do business yeah. <laughs> do business with because they're ecologically minded mm-hmm. in what in what they do for their business. And it 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 kind of melded I, ideology together. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. all right, yeah, this is someone that, that we – you know, we like their beliefs and we want yeah. to do business with. And that's what we appreciate about our customers because they come to us because there's a lot of choices. And sometimes there's a lot of choices that are more price effective. Yeah. Uh, but they they come to us because they believe in what we do, the quality of what we, we do and our the way we grow things. Mm-hmm. And it's um it's all part of the mindset. And it's as a as a, a homeowner, you get to do the same thing when you go to garden centers. You get to have those same conversations. Yeah. You get to make those same choices. One of the the interesting quotes that I'll I'll end this kind of thought process with is is it, it's important to think of well, it's just important that we're thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Everyone at home that they're thinking about this stuff and saying, Oh, how can I do better? But uh I was a quote I just read the other day. It was like Thomas and Thomas Edison invented the light bulb by lamplight. Yeah. You by an oil lamplight. Okay. Henry Ford invented the, or well, he didn't invent the motor car, but he developed the the Model T riding in a horse and carriage. He's like these things don't just happen. You have to rely on the existing technologies to develop a better technology. The same thing right now. The people who are inventing all these electric vehicles and and the future of transportation and and uh, power generation, all that they're doing it by coal powered power plants and getting their electricity that way that's the what we have now and we can't just say we need to get rid of this and do this we need to figure out the answer first and then transition and if we figure it out we're not going to be the only ones to do it other people are going to follow suit or if someone else figures it out you know obviously we would want to know um and it works if you as a consumer find value in it Mm -hmm. so as long as there's value people will continue to Try yep. to figure it out. Yep, um, exactly. You know, if you created something that no one wants, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. But we know that people want this. We want this. Mm-hmm. Just as consumers ourselves, this is what we want. Mm-hmm. And you just keep trying to get better. You know, yep. and I we're not perfect. You mentioned that, like, hey, we we do some of these things, and yeah. we're trying to not do these things. Or and find it was a something way. I actually got a lot of or some feedback on too was. Was there? That's a big admission that you did there, and I'm like, God, I don't want people to be confused and think yeah. that we're we are doing all this and we are yeah. we're perfect because we aren't. We're yeah. learning, yeah. and um, and that's it's important. We're all learning, yeah, constantly challenging our beliefs and and finding new ways. So the the other last thing before we move away is someone mentioned we didn't talk about seed pretty much because I felt it wasn't applicable. Like yeah. I thought about that, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Like I thought about that too, and I'm like, well, seed. I don't think that issue if you're spraying the plant transfers to seed that's sold a year later. I yeah, don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't. Um, I don't believe it is, but I, I don't know. And yeah. and most seed producers, native 
native herbaceous seed producers mm-hmm. aren't coating their seeds yeah. with uh, herbicides or fungicides anything like that, and fungicides. And that kind of They're that's more agricultural crop, crop mm-hmm. function. We're not doing that. Yeah. You know, nothing's coated. We're not we're not doing any of that. But I don't think that spraying the plant affects the seed that comes off of that plant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I know. don't know. I'm, I think I'm not positive, so mm. I at least wanted to. I I think it would depend on timing and and some others. I'm sure there's a there's things there's that some probably residual. can come through yeah. the seed, but I. But you're cleaning yeah, that seed. Know. You know, you're doing all yeah. that. I would think that. Yeah, you're not getting it in the plant material because the plant yeah. material is getting cleaned yeah. out. But um, I don't think it's absorbed that way. Yeah. That's talking about coating seeds. That's where like a lot of your agricultural seeds yeah. are coated. There's very few native seeds that'll get coated. Some of your legumes will, yeah, like partridge pea, and it's usually just a, a nitrogen uh, booster. Okay, um, so it'll come out a little blue. But it reminded me of a, a friend of mine who sells primarily grass seed. But he was talking about, yeah, it's funny. You go to Tractor Supply or Home Depot and you buy that that bag of grass seed, and it's like, oh, their bag of grass seed is is fifteen bucks for fifty pounds, and the one you want me to buy is like a hundred and fifty. Why is it? Why I'm just gonna go Home Depot and buy it, and you actually turn around that bag and look at the back, and it's yeah. like of the 25 pound bag, 50 pound bag, or whatever. It's like 10 percent actual seed. So much of it's coating. They just put the coating on super thick, and yeah. uh, and there's like or inert matter. There's all this just junk in there. But you're just looking at poundage to poundage. Oh, it's the same, yeah. but it's not. It's not the same. So, and a lot of times with with grass seed, you don't need the coatings on them yeah. as well. Is what I've been told by people in that business so it, it's all education yep. and it's you want to be an educated consumer mm-hmm. so it's it's good to you know we appreciate that you're listening to this we're tom and i are having this this conversation wasn't pre-planned other no. than saying follow up yep on this topic we hadn't discussed this there's nothing written down yeah. like we're having these conversations right now in our head and together and and you just have to keep having them you have to keep moving forward mm-hmm. and uh we'll we'll do it together yep. we'll we'll just keep doing it together so so Fran, you have an interesting take it or leave it here i know it's something that we've talked about yeah. before but because uh you're going to listen to this episode right before halloween days mm-hmm. before halloween or on halloween uh i know we've kind of mentioned this uh if you want to get tricked this is <laughs> this but uh spreading spreading the message of native plants for for Halloween, like giving mm-hmm. native seeds now, I yeah. know you can't strictly if you give a kid native seeds, they're gonna be like, what this is yeah. candy, you know, but or if you hand out most smaller kids are walking around with their parents, if you have something mm-hmm. to give out to the parent as well as the child yeah. for Halloween what do you what do you think i I'm all for it, but I think you need to do it the right way or it's not gonna be. As well received. Yeah. You're going to have people who like it just because they like free stuff. Yeah. But I've, as a, a, the kid is going to want some candy on yes. there. So I think you tape some candy to the little packet that you're yeah. giving out. And um, and I think a really good approach is to, if this is the first year you're going to do it, yeah. is use something like milkweed where it has that other – people know monarchs, and that's how they know milkweed. So you have like something – already built into most people's heads it's like oh yeah by using this it's a native plant and but it's helping something they already know yeah um and then you have the orange and black thing going with the monarchs too so (laughs) it's uh i think it's you don't want to turn people off so you don't want to just be handing out oh here's some baptisia i I pulled out of my garden (laughs) hand out the seed pod that would be pretty funny but um, I think you have to package it the right way. You got to yeah. go all in with it. You can't just yeah, and and make sure you're handing candy too, or we're, we're no still, one's gonna everyone's gonna avoid your house. You're not gonna be handing out any native seed. Well, what I was thinking, we're still contemplating contactless Halloween mm-hmm. and putting a table out with a bowl for the kids yeah. to choose from. But I was thinking about having a bowl for the kids and a bowl for the parents. Mm-hmm. Like, and if a parent wanted to take yeah. a seed packet, they could help themselves. If they didn't want it, there's no pressure. It's yep. not like, hey, we're shoving this down your throat. Yeah. So didn't just didn't know if you thought that was the right venue for that. It's it's probably not, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think it hurts. I think it like as long as you're you're giving away some candy too, and and not that will, that could be like an interesting haunted house. Ooh. Is the the <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to say this the right way, but the, the person is like. I can't believe you have a Japanese barberry in your eyes. 
<laughs> Watch out, it's a burning bush. Ah! <laughs> I would love to see, you know what? Yeah. I would love to see that, actually. Yeah. Maybe an invasive haunted house. Mm-hmm. That, that's something yeah. we have it, to work on. If you're going to do it, it needs to be educational. You can't just be handing out the seed. It's got to have, like like you said, if you had something or a little baggie and it's got the, uh, the seed and then it's got a piece of candy and it's got a little piece of paper that says, this milkweed's going to help monarch butterflies. It's an awesome native plant. Plant in your garden and yeah. watch the monarch show up. Yeah. And it, that'll that'll send a message to people, even if it's not milkweed. It could be something else. Yeah. But it's got to have the education come along with it or it's kind of going to be lost. And I think one of the things working against this idea is with uh, the Chinese seeds that were getting mailed to people. Because now people can be a little skittish around yes. oh, yeah. a random seed random that just seed, showed yeah. up in my kid's candy. Like, <sighs> what the heck is going yeah, on? That's sk- so I think you need to have the, if you had something pre, like, I hate to adv- advocate that you have more pre-packaging done, but, like, you have something that's pre-packaged so it's, like, looks sanitary yes. and it's not. Yes. Otherwise, it might just get chucked. It probably gets chucked a lot of times anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. So let me ask you off topic. When you buy Halloween candy, are you buying what you like? Or, or are you buying something <laughs> that you don't like specifically so you won't eat it? I'm buying exactly what I love. Yeah. I Because I, – and I buy more. Well, so we're in a place where we don't get anyone uh, that's true. trick-or-treating. So we don't have to. If I was buying, I'd buy what I like because then I'm going to – I'm the one who's eating it yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I'm a, like, I, if I, I was in that situation more, I want to be the, the – I don't want to be the house that everyone's in. Yeah. Those guys have boxes of raisins. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I want, to, I want to give out what I would have wanted as yes. a kid. So. All right, that's where I'm at. Yeah. We're, we're in definitely in a place where before I moved, we never got anyone. It was it would be the neighbors or someone we knew yeah. that brought their kids specifically yeah, by. Yeah. You know, you might get three people. Um, but now we we get a big turnout where I'm at. So. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I think we might get a hundred kids, I probably bought enough candy for three hundred just so that I could <laughs> just so that yeah. I can eat during the night yeah. too. So I sleep eat junk food. I should keep that as my secret. Oh yeah, uh, that's a good one. I, right. I like that right. idea. We'll, yeah, we'll was, talk more about it that. It wasn't very Halloween themed of an episode outside of this, but I no. think that was but a good way to wrap in tie in Halloween. We've done that in the past. Yeah, that so. was uh, with the spider warts and the. Yeah. That was what we did. Was it two years ago or last year? I think it might have been last year. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because um, I guess it was a year or two ago, and all of our because we've released on Fridays and whatever it was about that year, like every holiday was on a Friday. Yes, and it was like so. Our New Year's episode was like so. You kind of have to do something when it is releasing on the holiday. It's uh, although we did miss like there's like a I've like it might have been like International Monarch Day. We, just, <laughs> we, didn't even, we blew it off. Well, there's uh, bat. It we, it was Bat Month. I think yeah. we missed missed that. Yep. So so yeah. <laughs> But next time all right. all right well that's gonna wrap us up today thank you for joining us we hope you enjoy listening to the buzz thank you everyone for listening to native plants healthy planet presented by pylons nursery uh thank you rj comer for our buzz theme music uh which is entitled nightly suicide uh wouldn't be the same without that music you can uh stream or buy rj's music on itunes spotify or wherever you consume your music uh or definitely check out one of his americana playlists on pandora you'll thank yourself for checking those out Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, uh, and uh, also Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. And check us out at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery as well. Uh, please call the question and comment line. You can reach us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz and uh, answer it to the best of our ability. And the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, fantastic conversations, great questions there. Uh, We mentioned a few of those today, so we appreciate that. Keep that going. Yeah, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a little ad at the top. Click that. It takes you to our Teespring store. And uh, from there, you can find all sorts of Native Plants Healthy Planet T-shirts, phone cases, et cetera. I just got an update email from – yes spring the other day saying that there's a new uh hat interface oh um which if you're a longtime listener i was talking about doing hats and what i found was their hat designer was did just didn't 
it, it um, we didn't work well together. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. Now it wasn't a person. It was just the designer I had to use, and it just kept yeah. telling me my designs didn't work. And I'm like, okay. I don't have time to deal with yeah. this. I'm gonna <laughs> figure this out later. <laughs> well, they have released a new designer in the year plus since awesome. that time, so it should be a little easier to work. I, with, I'm I would buy a hat. I would definitely um, buy a hat. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna make a lot of dad hats. I think nice. that's uh, all right. Perfect. That's gonna be a popular one. So. Um, you can also listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. If you can do us a big, big favor, uh, it'll make myself really happy. It'll make Fran even happier. Uh, he checks before I do. Yeah. You leave a five-star review. Do a little write-up with it. Um, it goes a long, long way into getting other people hearing our podcast and uh, and promoting the idea of native plants. And it just makes this community bigger when more people are listening. But uh, but friend, you you did yeah. see that we're up to four point nine now. We finally burst the bubble. We're no longer at four point eight. Yeah. We're at a four point nine. There has not been a one star review that came in and bumped this back down. Which I'm thankful uh, for. So uh, there's still time. There's uh <laughs> you know, and that's part of my OCD routine yeah. checking, like when I wake up in the morning to see what the reviews are. So, uh, no, I'm really thankful. We've we we got back to a 4.9, and then there were a bunch of five star reviews that has kept us there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it looks like even one of the four star reviews changed it to a five. Nice. We're, yeah. So we're really thankful for that. All right. So, when, Fran, you said you had a secret, right? Yeah, so I do sleep eat, but it's very specific, and I, I think you may have heard me talking about this around the office. I haven't done it where I live now because we don't keep the same amount of snack. When I live by myself, there was there was definitely more snack food in the house, mm-hmm. but I will sleep eat gummy bears, um, specifically gummy bears. Now, I used to buy them by the five-pound bag, and I lived in a ranch, and I had woken up a few times in bed. Or walking down the hallway with a mouthful of gummy bears, like they called to me, like my like like my stomach is their Valhalla, um, <laughs> and it's it got to the point where it was actually scared. Like I woke up in bed mm. and had a mouthful of gummy yeah. bears, which I'm surprised I hadn't choked or or things like that. Yeah. But if where I live now, because we're bed situated, we're upstairs, and I have fallen down those steps before, like awake. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I don't know. We we don't really have gummy bears there. Like I don't buy that five pound bag. Yeah. So that nope. I can have that issue. So I I try not to have that problem. But I know uh, my wife and and my stepson had gone away for a weekend, and I bought some, mm-hmm. and I have fallen asleep downstairs, and and it just I, happened. I, I you ate did them the in other- my sleep. Yeah. Oh, oh, it wasn't there. It was at the Sear conference. That's where it was. Oh, gotcha. I, yeah. I bought a bag just to have some sweet snack in the room, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had a handful of gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> so it's something yeah. I can't have, like, in the house. Yeah. Like, I have to buy a small amount that I'm going to eat yeah. because I sleep eat gummy bears. No other food. Not Are you, issue. like, dreaming of gummy bears? Is no. That, that no. I, no. I must wake up. Maybe I'm not yeah. eating enough during the day, but it's it doesn't happen with any other food. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, as soon as I had them in the hotel room and I knew I had access, I ate them in the middle of the night. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, Tom, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that, friend. The bag was That's, empty, yeah. too, in the morning. So, uh, and I have Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have our live podcast with Dr. Randy Echo. We're, we're really excited to share this with everyone. Uh, it, it was a fantastic, Randy's such a fantastic guest mm-hmm. and, and our most requested guest. So, we're, we're happy to put that one out there. So make sure you tune in for that one next time. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.